We're reading this morning from Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from the other just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in and, and without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and its angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't take me in. I was naked, and you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you didn't take care of me. Then they too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or without clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? Then he will answer them, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for the one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous the righteous unto eternal life. You may be seated. Before we pray together, I just want to um, extend just a, a special welcome to all who may be here for the first time. Uh, we're glad you're visiting with us and. For the moms here, we, um, we just want to just say thank you for being mom, and we pray that your day is a blessed one. And as we get ready to open up our time together with a word of prayer, I, I also, um, as, as we pray for God's word to come alive to our hearts, I just want to pray for uh, moms this morning as well. So would you bow with me? I want to pray from Ephesians chapter 1 for our moms today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of coming together to worship you. And uh, this is a day that we set aside to honor our moms. Father, I know that for a lot of us here, uh, this could be a hard day. Maybe we're missing a mom. Maybe a mom is missing a, a relationship that has been broken with a, with a child. Uh, maybe... There are those among us who are struggling with infertility, and uh, th this, this day could bring a wide-ranging uh, 
stream of emotions. Lord, I pray that you would be near to those for whom this is a, this is a hard day, a difficult day. But as we think about the, the gift of moms and the hard work of motherhood, Father God, I, I thank you for the faith of our moms, their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their love for their children. Lord, would you strengthen their faith in a precious and a powerful way today and this week? Would you encourage them in their spiritual journey? And as they impart the truths of your word to their children, Lord, I pray that those truths would take hold, that your word would not return in vain. Heavenly Father, we never stop giving thanks for our moms as we remember them in our prayers. Lord, give us a heart of gratitude. Help us to be mindful of of the good things that our mothers have done for us and that we would take time to stop and express that gratitude toward them, recognizing that they weren't perfect, recognizing that they didn't do everything right. Heavenly Father, I pray that you, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give each mother in this room a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of you. Lord, as they seek to raise their kids, as they seek to relate to their adult kids, whatever their stages are, Heavenly Father, give them a spirit of wisdom so that they would know the right words to say at the right times, that they would know when to step in and when to step back, that you would direct their steps. Lord, make that clear to them. I pray that the eyes of their hearts might be enlightened so that they would know what is the hope of their calling in those moments when laundry and dirty diapers and practices threaten to overwhelm them and stress them out, in those moments when they're tempted to base their significance and their worth and their performance of their children, both on the field or in the classroom or in the workforce, may they turn to you and recognize the wealth of their glorious inheritance in you and find their, their worth their treasure in the eyes of Jesus and not in the actions of their kids or how well they feel like they've done as a mom this week. I pray that they would know the immeasurable greatness of your power toward each of them as your daughters, according to the working of your mighty strength. May they remember that the the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is alive and at work within them and, and to strengthen them, not only as they parent and relate to and love their husbands, but, but as, as, they, as they release their kids to you and trust you to do the work of saving them, of keeping them and sustaining them. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for moms today, and we ask that your spirit would just fill them with your hope this morning. God, as we open up your word together, would we ask the same thing, that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation, that you would help us to understand not only the words themselves and the the things that Jesus was saying, but that we would understand what you're saying to us. God, we thank you that you speak to us through your word, and we, we pray for willing and open ears this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you haven't already found your place in Matthew chapter 25, I want to encourage you to join us there. 
This is often called a parable, but it's, it's not a parable in the strictest sense. It's a little bit more of an extended metaphor, perhaps, is a, a little bit better way to say it. Jesus here is in the middle of what we call the Olivet Discourse. It's his last lengthy sermon here before he's going to go to the cross. And Matthew records this for us in chapters 24 and 25. And he has told us several parables in this stretch of, of messages He's talked about the, the parable of the ten virgins at the beginning of the chapter and talked about their readiness for the bridegroom. He, he then moved on to the parable of the talents and the man who entrusted his three different servants with three different amounts of, of talents and, and how they used them or did not use them for his, his betterment, the betterment of his business affairs. And now Jesus turns to this, this story or this illustration, but all of this has to do, this whole sermon in 24 and 25 has to do with the second coming of Christ and his return when he comes again in all of his glorious splendor. And Jesus here is talking about in those last days how he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. And you probably gleaned right away that the sheep were true believers. The goats were those who were not believers, who were going to be separated from God. And it tells us in this passage that it's Jesus, the king, who is doing the sorting. It tells us when the Son of Man comes in glory, he will sit on this glorious throne and he will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And he's going to put the sheep on his right. The right hand was considered a place of honor. The goats will be separated on the left. And you can kind of use your imagination. I mean, I don't know exactly what this is going to look like. Um, I, I heard one person say that, that, uh, that he envisioned that there's going to be a, a great deal of patience here as the, the goats want this to take as long as possible, realizing what their final destination is going to be, and that the sheep are patient just simply because they realize this is the last line they're ever going to have to wait in for all eternity. So uh, it, it may be a time of patience, who knows? And, 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 and the reward for the sheep in verse 34, he says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The, sh the, the goats, however, have a different destination, and they are separated from God. And as you look at this story, there really is only one difference between the sheep and the goats. And we'll look at it a little more closely here, but you heard, and in, 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 as Ben read this for us, the only difference between the sheep and the goats is the way that they treated the poor, the way that they treated the needy. What we've seen each of the last few weeks, and we're seeing in these hard sayings of Jesus, and, and we'll, we'll continue to see it in the, in the last couple of messages in this series, is that, that our actions and our works matter. Jesus did not simply just create us to believe a body of doctrine, a, a set of truths, and then be okay with whatever goes on after that. He's, he's saved us for a purpose, and, and, and He saved us to transform our lives so that it would look differently. We saw two weeks ago that a transformed life should be a, a life that's forgiving, that as we have received forgiveness, we should extend forgiveness. 
We saw last week that a transformed life should, should hold our possessions with an open hand. We shouldn't be locked into and defined by our wealth, our stuff. And here what we're going to see is that a transformed life should look different by the way that we treat those in need. You see, I think a lot of us sometimes, sometimes we, we, we get to thinking that God saved us for the purpose of just not being too bad. Like, like that we've lived a successful or a God-honoring Christian life as long as we don't mess stuff up too badly. Like as long as we don't go off the rails with sin, as long as we don't make the paper for something crazy that we did, people can generally say nice stuff at our funeral at the end. Like, like that's, that's, as long as we just sort of skate through without too many problems, we're, we're okay. But the previous parable, which we didn't read, actually completely dispels that notion. And I, and I always struggled with that parable. And you remember that the, the master, it was the master that gave five talents, two talents, and one talent to his servants. One goes away. And the first two had invested their money. They made more money. And the, and the last servant had buried his in the ground. You remember this? He had one talent. He buried it in the ground. Because he's like, well, at least I'm not going to lose it. And I don't know about you, but when I, as I read that story growing up, I always had a hard time understanding Jesus' reaction. Because it's like, well, he didn't blow it. He could have he went and gambled it away. He could have went and drank it away. He could have went and partied it away. Like, like why, was the, why did the master, when he came back, why was he so angry at that servant for just sitting on it. And what you see here, this picture that begins to emerge, is that God has called us to a life of holiness, not just of, of passive, try not to mess stuff up, but he's called us to go forward into the world in holiness. Our, our old dog um, was a dog by the name of Sassy. And uh, Sassy... Um, Sassy didn't do anything. From the time she was even younger, she just sat around all day long. Like we would let her outside and, you know, the kids would try to play with her outside and they'd come, and come back and complain like, she doesn't want to do anything, Dad. She doesn't want to fetch. She doesn't want to run. She doesn't want to jump. She just would sit all day in various places around the house. She had a couple of her favorite spots, but she moved around a little bit. But she, she, didn't, she didn't like... She didn't chew stuff up. She didn't destroy the house. She didn't uh, poop and pee in the house, by and large. She was just, just kind of there. And I think sometimes, as Christians, we think that that's, that's our life. As long as we don't, like, aren't too bad, we're, we're fine. Some of us live a, a, a sassy kind of a Christian life where we're just, like, just exist, just coast. But but as we see from this parable, not only the parable of the talents, but the one that we're looking at this morning, or the, the metaphor that we're looking at this morning, we see that the, the sheep are honored, the sheep are, are called into the kingdom, and what, what distinguishes them from the goats is the way that they treated those who were in need. So the, 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 the first thing that we're looking at here is that sheep are characterized by their care for the needy. This is... This is this is how they were recognized. Jesus said, 
as he invites them into the kingdom in verse 35. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. This is, it's amazing. With all that Jesus had to do in, in his ministry, his relatively short three-year ministry, there could have been so much more that he, he, he taught us. There could have been all kinds of ways that he spent his time. But as we go through the Gospels, we recognize that Jesus spent a considerable amount of his time with the poor, the sick, the needy. We can easily slip into a mentality that sees the gospel simply as getting our right doctrine, getting our information accurate. But Jesus did not simply come so that we would be more knowledgeable people. He didn't even simply come so that we would be more virtuous people. He came so that we would care, we would demonstrate his love in visible and tangible ways. This was so much a part of Jesus' ministry that there was that time when John's disciples came and asked if he was truly the Messiah. You remember John was in prison? And they said, we want to know, is he the one? And what was Jesus' answer? Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. Notice that the good news was part of that picture there. The proclamation of the gospel was here. But Jesus gave indication. He pointed to the, the things that he did for those who were down and out, those who were suffering, those who were hurting. And here in Matthew chapter 25, we see the same thing. What characterizes those who come to the kingdom of God? These very same actions. Now, I do want to notice, I think it's important, that, that Jesus, I believe here, in this specific context, is talking about caring for the needs of believers. Now, I think elsewhere we're going to find that, that Jesus, he cared for all needs, and, and I think that that needs to be our heart as well. But I want to be faithful to the context here. And he said... Um, in verse, uh, verse 40, he says, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus always, in the book of Matthew, Jesus always uses that phrase referring to his followers, brothers and sisters. And I think he's, especially here in this context, he's talking about the importance of caring for the needy among us. Or even more so, making sure that we're creating a, 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 I mean, we're building a church that, that, that genuine disciples of Christ are not excluding the poor, members of other races, the powerless, that, that we're dealing sacrificially and practically with needs among us. So as we think about caring for the poor, caring, well, cared, caring for the needy characterized Jesus' ministry. Caring for the needy characterized Jesus' ministry. But letter B, caring for the needy means that we're going to get personally involved. Jesus, Jesus was always, always, always involved in the lives of those who had needs. He didn't just help from a distance. He almost always was present when someone was healed. He was always close to them. In fact, he, he typically would touch the sick and the injured and the hurting one. I... 
Uh, my, some of your phones have this feature where it will show up, just bring up pictures from that particular day in history. So all your photos that are saved on there, and you'll see one. Hey, on this day in 2016, here's some pictures, you know. And one popped up this week of our youngest, Owen, and it was from when he was about four years old, and it, uh, somebody, I can't, I don't know who, which, which one of our sons, had found a painter turtle in the backyard or somewhere nearby and, and, and brought it home. And, and uh, I, I remember Owen was, was very excited and intrigued by it, but he did not want to touch the thing. He was terrified of, of touching it. It was, a, it was a pretty big for a painter turtle. It was a good-sized turtle, and he just, he was, he was okay with getting near it. He was okay by, in fact, the picture that we have, I can see it's Caleb's hand holding it, because Owen wanted a picture with it, but he didn't want to hold it. So it's Caleb's hand sticking into the photo. It's like cut off right here, and then Owen is holding Caleb's wrist. That's as close as he was going to get to that baby. Like, this is cool. I want a picture with it, uh, but I'm not going to touch it. And unfortunately, that's the perspective so many of us have with those who are in need, that, that, that maybe we'll do something about it, we'll, we'll try to care from a distance, but we're not going to get personally involved. All this list of things that Jesus talks about, and we'll highlight them in a moment, all of them involve being there, being connected, having a relationship. It's not just about throwing money towards the poor. The examples of Jesus's, Jesus gives involve personal contact. The third thing I wanted to note about this is that, that caring for the needy is going to be costly. Caring for the needy is going to be costly. Again, in each of these actions, it involves you giving up something. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. The idea is, is that you're giving away some food that would probably have otherwise gone in your belly or your family's belly. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Taking someone into your home, showing that hospitality, maybe giving them a bed, maybe for an extended period of time, that, that, that's going to cost you something. Each of these were costly. I love, probably my favorite parable is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And you can't read that story and not see the cost that's involved for this Samaritan as, as he cares for this beaten and broken and dying injured man. He takes time out of his day to, to kneel down beside him and care for his wounds. How many of us pass by people in need on a daily basis? We may even sense the Spirit of God saying, stop for a second, talk to them, engage them, show them that they're, they're a real person, the Good Samaritan, he didn't pass by like the others had. And taking him to the inn, it cost him money. It cost him his reputation among his people. It was, it was a sacrificial gift to save that man. When we're called to love the way Jesus loves it's going to be costly. It, it's going to mean that we give up something that we would have used for ourselves or used in another way. And fourthly, caring for the needy is not optional. Caring for the needy is not optional. 
what we see here is what we've pointed out for the last several weeks. We're not saved by good works. The sheep were not saved by caring for the needy. That's not how they, they didn't earn their salvation that way. Rather, their, the genuineness of their profession of faith, the real change of heart that had taken place as God had made them born again, was revealed in their heart posture towards the needy. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, had strong words about this very thing. In James 1.27, we read, Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Don't get hung up on that, world, that word religion. I know we don't like that so much in, in, in our modern-day Christianity. What he's saying is someone who's walking with me, someone who's, who's truly a, a, a genuine Christian is, is going to look like this. They're caring for orphans and widows. They're looking around and they're seeing those in need and, and they're stepping towards that need. The, the reason that James brings up orphan and widows is because in the Old Testament, if a woman lost her husband or if a child lost his parents, they were at the mercy of the world. There, there weren't a lot of structures in place. There, there wasn't a lot of help. A, a woman couldn't just go out and go you know, back to college, take night classes, and go get a great paying job. It was, there was, it was just going to be a if, if they weren't being cared for, it was, a, it was a devastation to them. And many would die because of this. They would be homeless so often. James is essentially saying, look, if you're a follower of Christ, put your money where your mouth is. If you claim you know Jesus, then let me see it. In fact, the whole book of James is like that. If you want to a splash of cold water in your face or to be slapped a little bit, read the book of James and spend some time there. He's going to go on and say in chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, he's going to put it even, even more bluntly. If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. Do you hear what James is saying there? In this scenario, you hear about a brother or sister who has a need. You hear about another Christian who's struggling. And, and, and you're encountered, you encounter them. You have this engagement. And this person here said, I hope everything works out for you. I, I, hope, I hope that your needs are met. May God bless you. We may even add some little platitudes like, I want you to know I'll be praying for you. Uh, I, I wish you all the best. These sorts of things. And yet, all meanwhile, we have the resources to at least help somewhat. To, to step in and, and do something about it. And James says that if a, if a Christian, someone who calls themselves a Christian, does that, then they're not actually a Christian. That that faith is simply dead. You, you see, when you stand over a, a, a dead body, you may say, well, that, that looks like a person. In fact, 
Maybe it was a person at one point, but there's no life there now. Their breath is gone. How many times have you been at a funeral and you say that, that you can just tell they're not there. They're, they're gone. That's what James is saying about our faith. It's not really there. There might be the outer shell. There might be something that sort of looks like faith. Maybe you go to church. Maybe you know some Bible verses. Maybe you talk about God. But deep down, there's no life there. And how do we know? By the way that we care for those in need. We're beginning to see a picture here of not only, number one, how important this is to Jesus, but how important it is to reveal that God has truly transformed our hearts. That we care for those in need. John Newton, whom you know as the writer of Amazing Grace, um, we have a lot of his letters and correspondence that were preserved and have been published and one of the letters that he wrote was to a gentleman who had apparently, we don't have a lot of context, but you can kind of glean it from the letter Newton wrote. This man had gotten married a little later in life and during his single years had been pretty generous to the poor, had been, had been pretty giving to the poor. And, and it sounds like from the context that maybe he had asked John Newton uh, if, if he should continue that way of living now that he was married, or if he should divert his funds more towards his family. And, and Newton wrote him to encourage him to continue to be generous, but to, to do so with wisdom. And Newton quotes this passage in Luke 14, and I didn't put it on the screen, but it's another parable where Jesus is saying, he says... Um, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back and you'd be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor and maimed and lame or blind. And about that verse, this is about those, those couple of verses, John Newton says this, one would almost think that that passage was not considered as a part of God's word. At least, I believe there is no one passage so generally neglected by his own people. I do not think it is unlawful to entertain our friends. And I agree with him. But if these words do not teach us that it is in some respects our duty to give preference to the poor, I am at a loss to understand them. You hear what Newton's saying? If Jesus' words are right, that when, when we have people over, it shouldn't just always be our buddies and our friends and our family. We should be willing to invite those who can't invite us back, those who have nothing to give. When, when we spend our time with people, it shouldn't be just those that can, can invite us out to their hunting blind, to the golf course with them, to, to do something in return. He's like, no, spend your time with those who can't pay you back. Those who have nothing to offer you. Newton says that if we're to understand that verse correctly, it seems as though Jesus is telling us to show preference to the poor. I mean, as I sit with this passage, it's astounding to me. Of, of all the things that Jesus could have picked with the to distinguish between the sheep and the goats, and to show honor to the sheep. Here's how you demonstrated that you were truly my followers. He doesn't say, welcome in to my presence because you built big church buildings. 
He doesn't say you're welcome into my presence because you put on awesome events or because you were an upstanding citizen or because you held great worship services. I mean, the list could go on and on. The things that we see as valuable, Jesus picked the care of the poor and needy as what demonstrated the difference between those who truly were transformed by the gospel in either those who didn't believe at all or those who were just playing the game, just following along. The care for the needy involves us giving sacrificially of our time, our gifts, and our resources. And what, what, was, what else surprises me here about this passage is that, that in this context, neither the sheep or the goats really realized what they were doing. They were both surprised that they had either helped or neglected Jesus. They said, when did we do these things for you? And Jesus said, when you cared for the least of these. The goats said, when did we ignore your needs, Jesus? And Jesus said, when you ignore the needs of the least of these. You see, for those of us who are doing it sacrificially, we're not even, we're not even thinking about what we can get out of it. We're not even thinking about what we're going to gain with Jesus. We're just, we see needs and the love of Christ is flowing through us and, and overflowing out of our lives and, and, and we long to care for these needs. I thought as I was reading this passage Um, I like to think of excuses. I'll just be honest with you. I, I try to talk myself out of things that I think are uncomfortable or that um, don't come naturally for me. And so I was, was thinking about the ways that maybe we try to talk ourselves out of helping those um, in situations where it's going to cost us deeply. Um, and uh, I, I came across an old sermon by a Scottish preacher named Robert Murray McShane, and apparently my excuses are not new, and my objections are not new, because in his sermon, he brought up several of the objections that go through my mind. His first objection he brought up is, my money's my own. I got stuff to do with my resources. I, I have a family to take care of too, and I, things I'm saving up for, and aren't I entitled to this hobby or this investment? And McShay's reply to that was, aren't you glad Christ didn't say, my blood is my own, my life is my own? Then where should you have been? Okay? And it kicks that one out. But then I thought, What if I feel like I don't deserve it? There's more worthy people. McShay's answer, Christ might have said, these wicked rebels, shall I lay down my life for these? 
I will give to the good angels and deserving poor. But no, he left the 99 and came after the lost. He gave his blood for the undeserving. What about the argument, the poor may abuse it? We've all thought of that one. They're going to squander it away. I know as soon as I help them out, they're going to turn around and buy beer with it, right? We've all thought that sort of, that went down that trail. And I love McShay's answer to that. Christ might have said the same thing, and yes, with far greater truth. Christ knew that thousands would trample his blood under their feet, that most would despise it, that many would make it an excuse for sinning more, and yet he gave his own blood. McShane went on to say, my dear Christians, if you would be like Christ, give much, Give often and give freely to the vile and the poor, the thankless, the undeserving. Christ is glorious and happy, and so will you be. It is not your money I want, but your happiness. Remember his word, it is more blessed to give than receive. At the end of the day, the way we treat the needy reveals our heart in our eternal destiny. The way that we treat the needy reveals our heart and our eternal destiny. And I won't linger long here, but let's not ignore the different destinations between the sheep and the goats. The sheep demonstrated their faith through the care of the needy. And their reply was, what they heard was, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's what we want to hear, right? But the goats, those who didn't believe, and it was demonstrated in their lack of care. And he says in verse 41, then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Verse 46 goes on to say, and they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I just want to add here by way of a footnote, my brothers and sisters, that, that hell is real. The eternal separation from God is a very real thing. Jesus describes it in, as total separation from God, as, as eternal and as suffering. We, we don't exactly understand what hell is going to be like, but we understand that he's very honest about the destination of those whose lack of genuine conversion is revealed in their lack of care for the poor. Eternal separation from God. As we close today, with these hard words of Jesus, I want us to remember that as Jesus, everything that Jesus calls us to is good for us. Jesus has told us through his word that in his presence is fullness of joy, in his right hand is pleasures evermore. Jesus has told us that it's more blessed to give than to receive. 
And in those moments where we feel like closing up our heart to the needy, when we feel like making excuses about why I'm not going to go sit with the sick, why I'm not going to welcome somebody into my home, why I can't give to help the poor, why I can't come alongside those who are suffering, maybe giving to the persecuted church and blessing them, why I can't open up my home for foster care and adoption. When we're tempted to to close up our heart to what God is calling us to, we need to remember this. We're closing up our heart to a blessing from God. And I'll I'll be first in line to admit that I so often forget that. I see the the temporal thing in front of me. I don't want to part with this money because I had other plans for it. I don't want to stop and use my time to sit by this person because I had other plans for it. I get the excuses. I get it. And I also get being forgetful that God has promised it's more blessed to give than receive. I forget that every Christmas. (laughs) I, I... like, I love getting stuff, and it's so baked into my DNA that I, I, I forget that when I give, I get more joy. What is that? That math does not make sense. I get rid of something, and my joy increases? I'm not a mathematician, but that makes no sense to me. Getting more should increase, right? You pour, you pour water from a pitcher into a cup. You're pouring more into it. The volume increases in the cup. We should think that as I get more stuff, my joy should increase. And Jesus' math in the kingdom is different. And I don't understand it. And so sometimes I just simply have to take a step of faith and say, God, and I I have these wrestling matches with God. I don't know if any of you guys do, but I'll have these wrestling matches. Sometimes I'll be holding that money or visualizing that window of time and thinking, God, I really want this for me right now. I want this money for me right now. I have this list of three things I want to do with this money. I have this list of three things I want to do with this time. And I want it really badly. And I think that if I have it, it will bring me happiness. But your word says that I'm going to be more blessed if I give that away. Now, for some of you, you're like, of course. I know this. I do this every day, and I'm so happy. Bless you. But for people like me, we struggle with this. So be patient with us and continue to encourage us and be an example for us. Because we're going to find out that as we give, our joy will go up and we'll be more blessed. So when we stop and we figure out how we can care for those who are in prison, when we stop and we think about how I can literally or figuratively give a cup of cold water or, or something to eat to someone in need, that I can come alongside and, and, and care for foster families or care for foster kids. We'll all of a sudden see that God's blessing in our life will abound. Proverbs 19.17 says, Kindness to the poor is a loan to the Lord, and he will give a reward to the lender. I love that verse. That's a great promise. But here's the thing. What makes someone want to live like this? What makes us want to step from being stingy and self-centered focused to being generous, especially caring for those who are poor and needy and sick and hurting and suffering? What, what, what changes that in our heart? It's only the grace of God that can do this. As we say with all of these hard sayings, it's not by sheer force of will, 
It's not by walking out of here with gritted teeth and clenched hands that I'm going to do better this week. It's only by the grace of God gazing upon Jesus and His kindness to us, His generosity to the most needy in all the universe. You see, it's Jesus who came to me when I was hungry and fed me with the bread of life. It's Jesus who came to me when I was thirsty and gave me drink from the springs of the water of life. It's Jesus who came to me when I was homeless and welcomed me into his family as his adopted son. It's Jesus who saw me in captivity to sin and shame and set me free. It's Jesus who came to me when I was spiritually naked and clothed me with a robe of his righteousness. And it's Jesus who found me when I was sick and in need of healing and healed me by his wounds. Why do we care for the needy? Not to earn the favor of God, but because God has shown his favor upon us. Why do we care for the poor? Not because I'm supposed to, but because Jesus came to me when I was spiritually bankrupt, spiritually dead, in fact, and gave me life. And it's that life that he longs to have flow out of us into the lives of others. My brothers and sisters, let's pray this week how God is calling us to set aside our needs, our wants, our stuff, so that we can step towards the needy, the poor, the hurting, the suffering, and listen to the voice of God to meet those needs and reveal the heart of Christ that lies within us. If any of you would like to just spend some time in prayer, we'll be in here for a while. We'd love to pray with you or give you a chance to just pray quietly by yourself. As we leave here today, moms, don't forget to grab your gift on your way out, and we pray for God's blessing in your life. Don't forget that there's some special uh, goodies out there that you can enjoy today as we, as we celebrate this special day. Let's take some time now and, and close in prayer as we reflect on how God equips and enables us to care. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who met us in our greatest needs, met us in our greatest poverty, met us with wounds that could only be healed by your precious blood, and you rescued us. We thank you for the example of our Savior that went before us and showed us how to, how to love the hurting and the broken, the sick, and the cast aside. God, I pray that you would give us that heart. And for those of us who are really wrestling with this this morning, for those of us who have been making excuses for the last 30 minutes, Lord God, I pray that you, your spirit would, would especially just, just melt our hearts with your grace today. Just help us to become so overwhelmed at your kindness towards us in, in our poverty, in our weakness, in our sickness, that you came to us knowing that you shed your blood knowing that so many would reject, and yet you still, you still gave. 
The giving of your life wasn't contingent upon whether or not people would do the right thing. You just gave. God, give us that heart. Give us that spirit so that we might impact those around us. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy. The only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. God bless.